Welcome! You found the Out of the Ordinary podcast. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker. This is the podcast where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. A few of my favorite ordinary things are homemade chai tea, gingerbread everything, and Christmas picture books. And a few of my favorite ordinary things are holiday leftovers. Christmas movies and candles, candles, candles on every surface of the house. A bonus ordinary favorite this holiday season is our special bonus podcast episode available the first week of December. Lisa Joe and I have compiled our list of top 10 Christmas books each. When you curl up with a hot cup of Christmas to drink this season, these are the books you want keeping you company. Because this is a deep dive into our favorite Christmas-themed books, including novels, cookbooks, mysteries, picture books for the kids, faith reads, fiction, and poetry. 20 books total will be featured in this bonus episode that includes read-alouds from our favorite passages and the reasons why we think these books will be good company in this season. Plus a printable list of all 20 featured books. You can take it to the library this winter season for your easy reading pleasure. To download the bonus episode, go to outoftheordinarypodcast.com slash bonus or click through the link in our show notes where it'll be available for a small bonus cost. Because this is a special bonus episode, it won't automatically show up in your podcast app. So take a second right now, click through the link in our show notes to make sure you get our top 10 Christmas books bonus episode, or go to outoftheordinarypodcast.com slash bonus. Curious about what you'll be getting? Let's eavesdrop together for a second. As you walk into environments this season that are wonderful and meaningful and beautiful and sometimes can be fraught with landmines. So I just encourage anybody to take a look at this. It's kind of like going in for a check-in, like a car. Like you're driving home for Christmas. You're going to get that car checked out before you do the long road trip. Might as well do the same for your soul. And mine is marked up and dog-eared and I cannot recommend it enough. Lisa Joy, I would have never imagined that book showing up on a Christmas Top 10, but it's it's perfect. It's perfect. And I'm sitting here. I've heard about that book for years. It's come highly recommended to me by many people. And I have never, I may have even checked it out of the library at one point. And you know, sometimes it happens, you check out too many things yeah. at once and you don't get to it and you end up having to turn it in. So I have never actually read it, but actually you've spoken to a struggle I've had just this week. Okay, welcome. Here it is, part three of Two Hard Holidays and a Holy Night, which so far, the last two episodes, I have learned a lot and they are impacting my Christmas season already. I'm so grateful. I hope our listeners feel the same. And one of the things I am learning is that I have tended to think of Christmas like that fragile, beautiful glass ornament you hang at the very top of the tree because you hope no child, no pet, no danger will knock it to the floor where it will shatter <laughs> a lot of the time. For me, Christmas is this delicate, shiny thing, and I'm just, I'm not even thinking about it too much. I don't want to put too much hope or expectation in it because I am so sure it will be shattered by the behavior of other people or myself, who often is the person who has a temper explosion or a bad mood. And so I try not 
Christy, I try not to even look Christmas directly in the eye because I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to break it. I'm holding my breath, just hoping we can tiptoe through the season without it shattering and all of my expectations (laughs) along with it. I'm laughing, Lisa Jo, but that's a brilliant metaphor. And it's actually very clarifying for me because, Lisa Jo, I don't see Christmas that way at all all. But now because you've shared that, I'm realizing how I do see it and how much it informs how I move into the seasons. Okay. Okay. I need this. I really need this. Me and all the listeners now are like, yes, (laughs) give us an alternative to breaking Christmas. So it's not this fragile ornament. For me, Christmas, it's the truth. It's the reality. It is the best news about the world that is always out there as this solid, dependable thing, but it is, for most of the year, veiled. We can't see it, we can't quite glimpse it, or we see it only through a glass darkly, you know, to use words from, from Scripture. But it's always there. It is real. It is solid. It is the truth. Like, everything that sparkles around Christmas, that's it. But what happens at Christmas time is that because we have set aside these days, because we have certain traditions and observances and we're remembering and we're sort of focusing, the veil is pulled back here and there. It glimmers at the truth, the real thing, the solid thing glimmers out in moments here, in moments there. And my job in the Christmas season, I'm just realizing this is how I approach it. My job is to be fully aware and present and noticing and eyes open so that when it peeks out, I see it, I grab it, Mm. I hold on to it. And I do that by showing up every day ready for Christmas. So that might sound amazing. (laughs) It means I look Christmas in the eye. I, Mm. I do things I don't normally do. I plan, I make lists, I think ahead, I anticipate, I create special places and menus and moments because I want to create a space to see that thing that I know is always there, but that Christmas shining through. But also what I do is because I I want to see so much of it and then experience so much of it because I know it's there and real and reliable and it will show up. I overdo it. I get greedy, maybe. I want all of the special, (laughs) all of the magic. And and so I overdo it. And I, I try to carve out too many moments and too many spaces. I you know, we're still just human living ordinary lives on this earth. And maybe we could only handle so much of the real beautiful truth behind it all. And instead, I want to sit there with the veil pulled back all the time and my eyes just open, staring. And maybe that too isn't, you know, exactly healthy. Like we're not quite ready for that yet, maybe in this life. (laughs) But what I hear you saying though, that's so helpful to me is that Christmas isn't this delicate ornament that we can accidentally break. Mm Mm-hmm. It also isn't the thing we have to be hypnotized or transfixed by. Instead, Christmas is like the earth under our feet. Mm -hmm. You can't walk off of it. It's there. It's It's solid. You can choose Mm -hmm. to see it or not, but it is 100% what you walk on every day. And it can't break accidentally. Like that is actually how I'm now going to think of Christmas. Like this, it is the thing that sustains and holds everything else up. 
It is the ground mm-hmm. beneath our feet. I am, you're, I mean, I, I have no words. My whole so, view of Christmas has changed now. It's good, isn't it? it? It helps me too, because now I realize, so Lisa Joe, now hopefully you, when you're ready and the moment's right, you can look it in the eye because yes. you know it'll be there. But the same for me, I can choose to divert my gaze. Yes. <laughs> I can yes. look at something else for a while. And you won't it, miss it. It will still be there. <laughs> right, because it's the thing underneath us. Like how yeah. you can't walk off of it. You right. can't look at it too much. And if you look away, it won't disappear. And you can't accidentally break it because you lost your temper with a kid on Christmas morning. That's it right. is in fact the thing you continue to walk on through this particular season But then throughout the rest of the year, which I think sometimes we forget, the fact that Christ came, Emmanuel, with us is what keeps us walking forward the rest of the year, which is why today, after talking about our two hard holidays, we get to our one particular story of a holy night. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell mine first, and it's a story familiar to you because, Lisa Joe. You were there. Was this there. was a Christmas we spent together, which makes it that much more special that we'd be revisiting it here together on this podcast of all things. Our first Christmas at Maplehurst, which is the story I'll, I will tell, of course, right? A homecoming Christmas. Um, you were there with Peter and the kids, and we celebrated Christmas together. We'd never done that before. I know. I wish we, we would do it, it again. <laughs> We should. We should. It was so, we have to. We will. We absolutely will. Because that was so special. And I, now even looking back, I mean, we were good friends then, but we didn't know what was to come. We didn't know just how much closer and closer our lives would um, weave together through this work that we've been doing together. And so now looking back, it just is even more meaningful to me that we spent that Christmas in particular together. So my story is about that Christmas, and it is, if you've listened to the previous two conversations in this three-part series, I've shared how my expectation for Christmas, or what I most deeply long for in this season, is something special, unique, and uniquely beautiful. And for me, that has always meant Snow. <laughs> it has always meant <laughs> snow, always which is snow. so sad, really, when you think about poor little girl growing up in Texas. <laughs> where? So Although, let me ask you this before you continue. Yeah. Where did you, why? Where did you have this concept of snow? Because if you grew yeah. up in, in Texas, you wouldn't even have had it as an idea. Was it from yeah. movies, books? Like where you did know, you get the idea? That's uh, so a great originally? question. I think it it was a combination. Certainly, movies and books. I mean, if you think about, well, think about our. Um, bonus episode that we've shared this month with our listeners and all the great Christmas books that we've shared. And I I know at least a number of mine feature snow heavily (laughs) as a character. (laughs) So, right. This is, you know, in our Christmas movies. And so it's just in the culture. I think, you know, the literary historian in me, the scholar in me would go back and talk about Dickens and, you know, how he (laughs) kind of created that sense of, of Christmas. But more than that, even though I was growing up in Texas, I had parents who um, had met and married in Colorado and often took us there for trips. And Colorado was our very, here we go again, this word, very special place. It was not Texas in every way. It was mountains. It was snow, even sometimes in the summer, snow on the tops of the mountains. Um, One summer, I used to attend a week-long summer camp in the Rocky Mountains outside of Colorado Springs. 
I'm just going to name it. It was such a great camp, such great experiences there. Um, Eagle Lake Camp, it's still there. And my children got to attend two summers ago, which was so special. But one summer at camp in July, mind you, we were out for an overnight camping. I was only, I was young. I was nine or 10. And up there on that mountain, it started to snow no, in, in July. July? Yes, yeah, so wow. special. So I, I think going to Colorado with my family or hearing my parents' stories of skiing, and and then when I was a little older, they would take us skiing um, just for one week a year um, in late winter. And so it was this, it was an experience, but it was a very um, out of the ordinary experience mm. in my life, snow. So maybe that's a part of it as well. Or maybe, Lisa Joe, maybe God just planted that longing in my little girl heart because he knew where he was going to take me. He knew he mm. was going to take me to places where it would snow at Christmas time. I like and, that idea. Uh, maybe he was preparing me for that. Maybe he was just preparing me to want the thing that he wanted to give so that when I received it, it meant so much more. And that's really what this Maplehurst story is about. It's not about Maplehurst in the first Christmas and did it snow or not. It's it's about really the years of wanting that came before, the years of of shaping my desire in that direction, which was snow. And and because snow so captivated my longing, it came to mean more than just snow, right? It's not just snow. It's honestly for me, it became almost a way of if I'm praying for snow, I'm praying for God to show up. Mm. That's, That's really good. what I'm praying for. Like, yes. Lord, I need you. I know I need more, and I know the more I need, the special I need is actually you. So sometimes when I am praying, like, let it snow, <laughs> please let there be snow this winter, I know what I'm praying is, Lord, just please show up. Please show up. And so for years, I think I've been praying that prayer, Lord, come show up in some way that I, I need that I don't even fully understand. And um, and he began to do that. I mean, he always does that, but he began to do that in clear ways when he brought me and my family home to this place, Maplehurst, this Pennsylvania farmhouse after our years of living in Florida. And as soon as we arrived, we arrived in August. And then it was that month, actually, the cherry trees, old cherry trees here in our yard began, their leaves began turning yellow. They turn very early. And then, of course, into the fall as the other trees, the maples began to turn red. And uh, we were enjoying that. And all along, me and the kids were thinking, when will it snow? When will it snow? When will it snow? And thinking about snow and talking about snow and telling Bo, baby Bo, about snow. He wasn't a baby anymore, but he'd grown up in Florida and not known snow um, since he was so young when we left Chicago. So that whole fall, I think I was praying for snow, and I realized I was praying for, oh, goodness, probably so much more than that. I was praying for, you know, the presence of God, for God to be near. Um, it wasn't an easy season at all. I had a newborn. I had no friends. I knew no one here. I um, was dealing with postpartum anxiety that was very severe. I was not well. <laughs> in so many ways, I was not well, even though I was in a season of having received so much abundance, a new home, a new place, and a new baby. But wow, I was not well. And I think my prayers in that season for snow were prayers for so much, for healing, for hope, <laughs> for some kind of sign that that the direction, the 
wild new direction our lives had taken was good and right. And so actually, Lisa Joe, I've never done this, I don't think, on the podcast before, but I realized that the story I wanted to tell is a story I've told in a book. I tell it in my book, Roots and Sky, which some of our listeners may have read or not. But I'm just going to read a brief portion of it. And I like while you're looking up the page, uh I like that because it gives our listeners today just a little flavor of the read aloud, you know, top 10 Christmas list episode we did, which does not include Roots and Sky. So don't worry if you're getting that episode, we're not double dipping, but it does give you a sense of what we do in that episode where we share our favorite Christmas reads, our top 10, and then we do a deep dive and we read small excerpts and explain why we love them. So actually, I'm really happy you're doing this because it gives us all a little flavor of that episode. It does. And I could have chosen this book because um, for those who've read it, it's a walk through the seasons of our first year at Maplehurst. And I spend quite a bit writing about our first Advent, our first Christmas and Epiphany. But I had too many other favorites I had to include in that bonus episode. So (laughs) Roots and Sky didn't make the cut. But here it is, just a little bit, a couple paragraphs from um, my Christmas Day chapter, which is called This Day Runneth Over. And at the top, I have this verse from Genesis chapter 1, and God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And of course, our conversation today and this story here is about sacred time. The natural world does not generally support our sense of being the center of the universe. The sky remains blue, though our mood is foul. We wake with enthusiasm, only to discover a driving rain. Clouds obscure the full moon on our special night. I have decided this only makes the exception sweeter. I try not to take the weather personally, but there are days when that is the only reasonable thing to do. We witness our first snowfall at Maplehurst late in the afternoon on Christmas Eve. The sun has set, but there is just enough light left hanging in the air to make each snowflake glow. As we tumble outside and lift our faces to the sky, it is as if 1,000 lanterns are slowly descending to light the Christ child's way. Snow continues to fall, quietly and lightly, as darkness settles in and Christmas Day approaches. This is no storm. It is a gentle answer, and it needs all night to leave its message on the red brick chimneys, the steeply sloped roof, each frozen blade of grass, and every bare branch. It is all around us when we wake on Christmas morning. Come, Lord Jesus. We prayed, I have come, he answers us. Gosh, Lisa, that makes me cry. <laughs> Gosh, that picture of a he thousand did. lanterns coming out of and the he sky. Does. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, chills. Yeah, that's what snow means to me. And you know what? It's It could be a silly thing, but God knows that that's what it means to me. And, um, and so he answered that prayer in the most tangible way that Christmas when I really needed to know that I'd come home and that it was good <laughs> and he was here with us. And it's so cool to remember you were here with me too. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. Isn't it wonderful that both of our hard stories, I hadn't realized this at the time, mine had to do with wanting to be home and being away from people I love, um, culminated with me being near you, you know, yeah. that I was there participating in God's answer and in your holy night that God provided for you, His holiness, how He plants a longing in all of us. I think mm -hmm. Christmas is the answer to an unspoken longing. And that verse in Scripture that talks about the whole earth groans, you know, yeah. we're all waiting for His redemption. We're hungry and longing and not even sure what we are longing for. We're not mm -hmm. sure what it is that will satisfy us. And Christy, I will never look at snowfall the same again. I will think of it as a thousand lanterns coming down to earth to be with us. And you know, I did not know that you were going to read that exact quote because I pulled something I wanted to read today too that ties itself to my holy night. But ah. so interesting. Both of them revolve around this concept of light. You oh. talked in the beginning, right? Your first mm -hmm. sentence talks about the darkness and God coming into it like light. And for you, the mm -hmm. snowfall was like a thousand lanterns mm -hmm. coming down from the sky. I love this passage in the book of John. And um, I love it in the translation provided by the message. And John chapter one in the message, the title of the chapter is The Life Light. And oh. this is how he says it. The Word was first, the Word present to God, God present to the Word. The Word was God in readiness for God from day one. Everything was created through Him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without Him. What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness the darkness couldn't put it out. Hmm. Gosh, it's funny to get choked up reading verses we've lived our whole life with, yeah. because when you see them through different eyes, when you see them through the eyes of your own story, mm -hmm. you see how that is true. Something written thousands of years ago by John is true for Christy in her story <laughs> at Maplehurst as a yeah. thousand lights descend from the heavens in the shape of snow <laughs> to paint a holy night for you. Mm. And for me, after my two hard stories, my really holy night, um, and I'm so happy to be able to say this, my holy Christmas night also happened in the U.S. It mm. wasn't like God had to take me home to South Africa, right, to come and make that those hard seasons feel holy. It happened in America, in Michigan, in the tiny town of Owasso. And actually, in a previous episode from Christmas last year, it was episode 14, called Does God Still Give Good Gifts at Christmas Time? I talk quite extensively about that Michigan Christmas, but here's a piece of the story I haven't told before. So what you know, if you've listened to that episode or you go back and listen, it's one of my favorite ones. You should definitely do that since we'll be on break for the next few weeks. But that Christmas was so interesting because I had a two and a half year old, Jackson was two and a half, and I was heavily pregnant on Christmas Eve, which as we all know, is the time of Christmas that is the most meaningful to me. And not Christmas Day, Christmas Eve is where the magic happens in my childhood memories of South Africa. And Micah, as we learned later, would be born just two days later. He was born January 27th. So on Christmas Eve, I was just two days away from giving birth. I was incredibly pregnant. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think um, I actually wrote a blog post once called Pregnant with Christmas because it's that idea <laughs> of the expectation of it, how, you know, this image of a woman who's pregnant is actually used throughout scripture to describe what the world feels like as we're waiting for the Savior. We're mm-hmm. pregnant with this hope, this longing, this waiting, and then we groan, we bear down the pangs of childbirth are such a real thing. And I remember that year feeling such a deep affinity for Mary, what it felt like to actually be pregnant that time of year. It was uncomfortable. (laughs) I remember Christmas Eve. It was so special that year before I gave birth to Micah. We actually celebrated Christmas um, with a small church that we attended that didn't have its own building. And that church was meeting in sort of a I guess not a conference room, a bit bigger than a conference room, space that had been given to it in the local hospital. Isn't that interesting? So this tiny Owasso hospital had this little gathering room and it's where our church met. And so on Christmas Eve, I was sitting in the hospital where two days later I would give birth to Micah. Wow. And I was so pregnant sitting in this hospital room surrounded by a congregation that that night included a lot of members of Peter's family because we were living in this small town where Peter's aunt and uncle lived right around the corner from us, and they had three kids, the cousins, and Peter's parents could drive up. It was like a six or seven hour drive from Illinois, but they were there with us as well. We were all sitting in this hospital room. Aunt Marcia is a doctor in that hospital, and she, two days later, would be there in the delivery room when I gave birth to Micah, and she was sitting with us. We were all sitting in this room as we were singing on Christmas Eve. <laughs> on Christmas Eve, I was surrounded by all of these people, pregnant with the Christmas that was about to come two days later for me. And as we were worshiping and singing Christmas carols, there was this moment where little two-and-a-half-year-old Jackson was too big to fit on my hugely pregnant lap. I did not have space for this kid. (laughs) And he had, for some reason, slid down or off and did the thing toddlers do. He was running up and down the aisles. (laughs) And it helped that it wasn't a formal church setting or a large church, the small group of people who were gathering you know, in the most conference room of conference room environments, right? And the kind of chairs you have for for meetings. So the aisle didn't feel super holy, but there's Jackson running up and down the aisle, and I'm pregnant with this new baby. And I remember in that moment having a vivid sense of this is what God did. He came to be with us. That is God's name. That is my favorite one, Emmanuel. God with us. God with us in our conference room Christmases, in our (laughs) folding chairs, in the ornaments that break, in the non-perfect, in the Mm -hmm. lonely. Mm -hmm. There I was that Christmas Eve, surrounded by all this amazing family, and my toddler was running up and down the aisle. But you know, Christy, what really pierced my heart that year and made me relate to Mary in a very different way was to look at Jackson, to feel Micah in my belly, and to know for all of her expectation of delivering this baby into the world, there was no way that Mary could know the death that baby would die. And when I watched my toddler running up and down, and I had that thought, both the joy and expectation of a new mom and a delight in a new baby was suddenly overshadowed as we We took communion that night with what it would mean for that mother 30 years down the road. 
what it would mean to know that this little baby, this delight of your heart would be the thing one day that was the Savior who rescued us. It's why he could call himself Emmanuel with us, because he knew what he would do for us. And so I'm going to continue reading from the book of John, because here is Jesus' cousin, (laughs) talking about the God who came to be with us, not just in the manger, but on the cross. And it says here in verses 6, beginning at verse 6, there once was a man. I love that because it's the perfect (laughs) story. It's how all good stories should begin once upon a time. There once was a man, his name, John, sent by God to point out the way to the life light. He came to show everyone where to look, who to believe in, John was not himself the light. He was there to show the way to the light. The life light was the real thing. And I think there's so many stories we tell that point to the real thing. The snow Mm -hmm. points, the Christmas Eve, the gifts, the cards, the carols. But all they are doing is pointing, like John Mm -hmm. says. The life light was the real thing. Every person entering life he brings into light. He was in the world. The world was there through him. And yet, the world didn't even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him, who believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves, their child of God's selves. These are the God-begotten, not the blood-begotten, not the flesh-begotten, not the sex-begotten. The Word became flesh and blood, and this is my favorite line, and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like Father, like Son, generous, inside and out, true, from start to finish. Man, that passage, (laughs) like full-body goosebumps, and that is why. We can have a holy night, no matter what our stories are, because there is a God who shows up like the life light, and He makes us His family. And I sat in that hospital room church service with my nearly newborn baby and my toddler son, and I thought about Mary, and I thought about the God who makes us family. And because we feel so homesick, so many of us all the time, He came to be with us. He isn't saying you have to wait till some distant point in the future when he'll bring you home and everything will magically be perfect. No. He moved into the neighborhood. He came to make his home with us. And that night, I was surrounded by people I loved in a place that was still far from home, and yet I knew I was at home. And it was one of the holiest nights I can remember when I think about Christmas. (laughs) I don't have anything to say, Lisa Joe, except thank you, Jesus. Thank you. It's Jesus, the Christ, the light of the world that we glimpse in every Christmas light and every sweet cookie (laughs) and every um, bell that rings and every moment that is good. But he's there, too, in the broken (laughs) ornaments and crumbled cookies, and all of it. Lisa Joe, it's just so good to remember here together. I had no idea what we would discover as we shared these stories, and I just feel like, I don't know, like we've been prepared to receive in new ways this Christmas. And I'm grateful. 
Me too. I think I will walk into this season now knowing the ground under my feet is firm and it can be trusted that Christmas isn't something delicate. It isn't something we have to be careful not to break. It isn't something that's ruined because I lose my temper on Christmas morning or there's a kid who's disgruntled or hits his brother or doesn't like the gift I slaved over. Mm-hmm. None of it can touch it. None of it mm-hmm. can ruin it. It is already um, a gift that is certain and sure. Mm-hmm. It is so firm a foundation under our feet that mm-hmm. God came and, you know, as John reminds us, it's not anything that we've done. It's not blood begotten or flesh begotten. It's not something that we can make or force or break or lose. Instead, there's this God, I love how he calls him generous inside and out. We have a God mm-hmm. who's so generous and that he's true from start to finish. Through our holy days and our hard days, he doesn't change. He's the gift who is given for us already. And there's nothing we can do to affect that. All we have to do is receive it. And this Christmas, I think I look forward to processing and not being afraid now <laughs> of the bumps mm-hmm. along the way, mm-hmm. but also not feeling the pressure to have to look Christmas in the eyes all the time and have it be yeah. perfect and meaningful all the way. Um, it'll just be okay. Mm-hmm. Because... I guess, as always, um, no matter how ordinary it is, I know now for sure how holy it is, how utterly extraordinary and miraculous it is, and it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do yeah. with how I make it so. Yeah. Lisa Joe, I know we, we will be back here with new conversations in January, and I know that if it's like years past, I'll show up in January with some sadness. Oh, Christmas is over. It's done for another year. Did I do it well? Did I do enough? (laughs) And I feel like maybe this January, I'll come back. We'll have a conversation here in a couple weeks and share it with our listeners. And my real hope now is that I won't have to have that same sorrow, that same backward glance that brings me melancholy because I'll know that whatever I glimpsed at Christmas, whatever magic was in the air, whatever glory I just saw, you know, here and there in the lights is a reflection of the light who is still there in January, (laughs) who is still there even when it's cold and it's not snowing. The light who is with us even when the skies are gray in the middle of January. And isn't January the longest month? (laughs) It's the (laughs) longest month. (laughs) But I feel better prepared for Christmas now. And honestly, even more importantly for me personally, I feel better prepared for after Christmas. Mm. Because this light (laughs) that we're discovering now, we know will be there on the other side of it too. Um, Because it's real. It's a light and it's a rock and we're standing on it. Oh, I love that. I hope that you who are listening take that with you into this Christmas season too. Christy and I will pause now for a few weeks to really enter into that place and to allow you to do the same. But man, we look forward to being back in January to reconnect and remind one another of how good it has been not to be afraid of Christmas or that we could ruin it somehow, but simply to receive it as a gift that is given and is permanent and that there's no way you can break it. Mm -hmm. Because Lisa Joe, 
The best stories grow out of the soil <laughs> of, of ordinary, ordinary life. <laughs> oh, Merry Christmas, friends. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Want more out of the ordinary this season? As you wish. Check out our special bonus episode that is a deep dive into our top 10 Christmas books. 10 from me and 10 from Christy. Remember, this is a special bonus episode, so it won't automatically show up in your podcast app. Instead, click the link in our show notes or go to outoftheordinarypodcast.com slash bonus. Bonus.